Yes, this is Ponder. I'm Nathan Rainsford. And I'm Rob Weinberg. For this episode, we're thrilled to welcome American actor Penn Badgley. Penn is currently starring in the second series of popular Netflix thriller You. Yes, if you haven't seen You, Penn plays Joe Goldberg, who's described on his Wikipedia profile as serial killer, stalker and bookstore manager. It's hard to have a fresh start when the past is on your mind. Candace. I think we have some unfinished business to talk about. But it's a new me. So, Penn, welcome to Ponder. Thank you so much for having me. I have to say, I was in a bookstore in a London railway station the other day, and there was your face staring out at me from the paperback edition of You, (laughs) which is now in the bestseller charts. How does it feel that your face is everywhere and you're getting recognized on the streets? You know, I have to say, it is probably one of the foremost aspects of my life that actually demands that I basically like mean what I say and say what I mean and try to live a good life because otherwise that stuff drives you crazy. Being recognizable and I think right now actually of all times I'm probably at a certain peak. It's completely relevant to my life. It affects almost every dimension of my life and yet it's something that is kind of immaterial and you know you can't manage it really. You can't control it. So yeah man it's definitely a thing. Are you surprised at how successful you has become yes and no i think now that it's happening no because in a way i kind of understand somewhat the phenomenon like this dynamic that people are attracted to and repulsed by and interested in even though they know it's wrong these sort of things make a lot of sense but you never know when you're making the thing especially as an actor you don't know how it's going to be handled you don't know how it's really going to be cut together what the vibe will really be so i think once i saw it then i was like "Mm, okay i think i can see into the future a little bit and anticipate a response what do you think it was about the show that people were attracted to so much what did the show tap into that really sparked an interest Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like in the world of Joe, there's no justice. So in a way, you're allowed to just sort of be freely in his mind and in his experience. In a way, you're not so concerned, is he going to get caught? I mean, obviously, this comes into play at points, Mm -hmm. but you're kind of free to like him more than ever. And therefore, you do, (laughs) you know? And I think in a way, if the show wasn't also trying to be this commentary and if it wasn't part of this larger sort of elevated conversation i think actually just letting ourselves be in that world without justice and enjoy someone like joe i think there would be something really disturbing about that Mm. you know and actually i should say there is something disturbing about it but at least we're all carrying on like this and there's something interestingly likable about joe isn't there and that's a testament to the quality of a storyteller that he or she can take a character like joe and tell you the backstory and show you really the consequences of lacking love in your life, the ridiculous consequences in some ways, the fantastical elements of the story are a portrayal of what happens when you don't have love in a very exaggerated way. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what you said about it's like, says something of the storyteller being able to make us enjoy and and empathize as much as we do with him. I mean, I think that's where this show to me goes beyond part of why it's so fun and successful is because um, if this was a clinical portrait of a person who's really committing these acts, you may not be able to like him as much because in reality, there's probably like a moral vacuum 
and a total inability to truly empathize with people and, and be compassionate that a real serial killer would demonstrate. They actually seem to be at some point very good at emulating these sorts of things, which is why people don't initially suspect them. Mm-hmm. But with Joe, I think what I do as an actor that makes him very sympathetic character is that I mean what I say when I say it. And that's just me not trying to intellectualize anything about it, but just really being invested in the moment. The same way that I'm invested when he's doing something terrible. So in a way, my performance is kind of unfairly toying with people's experience. And I think that that's sort of the way many performances are. Like, I don't know how clinical we could claim any great performance to be in representing reality because the whole point is that it does dramatize it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, think of Shakespeare's tragic heroes stripped of their humanness. Take Macbeth, for example. He's a murderer. He's power hungry. He kills a king. He kills a young family. But the play wouldn't work if we didn't feel something for him, if there wasn't that foible, that tragic flaw that makes him human and that we're supposed to see something in. And that was the genius of Shakespeare, was to allow us to relate to characters that seem distant from us With if you just take the acts as clinical. But the genius of Shakespeare is, is exactly that, that he places those acts in a nexus of human emotion, of human feeling. Yeah, and I think it happens on different levels with the writer and the actor. It's like... The writer does that, which is its own art entirely, and then the actor interprets it, and which is its own art entirely, you know? And I know a lot more about the acting part of it than I do the writing part of it. And I feel like what you spoke to was largely the writing element of it, and then I think what an actor does is adds this gravitas that actually might not be so real, but it's authentic. And so there's something interesting there that I think we forget that drama does, is it does dramatize. Even in this age of, like, hyper-realism, you know what I mean? I think one of the things that interested me about the second series of You is that it feels more satirical than the first. So there's this strong critique of social media and the kind of millennial zeal for showing yourself where you are, what you're eating, who you're with. That enables Joe to do what he does because he can find out whatever he wants to about the person he's interested in. But in the second series, there's this satire, really, of New Age Californian spirituality and Actually, what comes through is that everyone turns out to be really broken and searching for something, whether that's connecting with your inner wolf or cookery. Everyone's clinging on to trying to find a way to feel better about life, to feel better about themselves. And they're all looking to relationships as the key to healing. And Joe's doing that too, to some degree, isn't he? Well, there's definitely something Joe is going through that people are touched by. And to be honest, I'm not always sure what that is. And I think you're naming it. That's why I value other people's perspectives on this show in particular. Sometimes you don't really want to spend so much time thinking about it, hashing it out. This one is different in that way. So, I mean, here's the way I experience it. I think it is very relatable, but Joe has confused in a way, the very purpose of life and the very function of love. He's seeking for validation and for wholeness. He's seeking for completion. He's seeking for happiness through the pursuit and acquisition, the winning of someone else as though they're an object. And we know that men have historically done this to women quite overtly. But we also know that because we've lived in that same male-dominant culture where men more or less create systems around this kind of perspective, I mean, women are subject to the same manner of thinking. You know, we're all in the same water as fish together. 
And in a way, I think he's a personification of that. And that is where I think we can forget about the details of what he's going through and relate to the essence. And then what I think ends up being so confusing and kind of funny or fun about it is um, that when we remember the details, you know, we've forgotten the details for some time, we're enjoying the whole thing, and then we remember the details, and we're like, oh, that's right, he's uh, stalking her. Oh, that's right, spoiler alert, Delilah's in the cage. Oh, that's right, Will's still in the cage. Oh, that's right, wait a second, no one's even calling him Joe. They all think he's Will. It's like, oh, wait, that's right, Candace is alive. <laughs> you know, it's like you're constantly remembering, like, this is crazy. And actually, the truth is, Shakespeare did the same thing. I'm not trying to say that we're Shakespearean here. But I am saying that actually, you know, you can almost accomplish anything if you're able to pull it off. And I think in some strange way, we're pulling this off. Penn, you should know I'm always willing to call anything Shakespearean to make my degree feel relevant. So, <laughs> Penn, you started out as a child actor and I believe you even recorded a pop single when you were 12 or 13. Uh, so then you acted through your teenage years and then had such a huge success in Gossip Girl and then you left it all for a while to pursue music more seriously. Tell us a bit about the journey. Yeah, uh, well, I think it has a lot to do with becoming professional at a very young age and then not having formal schooling where I learned a lot on the job. So actually by schooling, what I meant was an academic experience. Like I didn't really go to high school. I didn't attend a four-year university, although I went to Santa Monica College for a couple of years to enjoy myself and actually learn and then also to get credits to transfer. So I was accepted to USC, but never went because I was already working. And I thought, I don't know if I actually want to go to film school if I'm already working so much. I don't know that I would have consciously chosen to pursue acting because of all the things that attended um, namely the fame that we started out talking about. That's a huge component that you can never really understand until you've experienced it. And even then, as I said, I don't think you can fully understand it because it's not really about you. So I don't know. If, I, if I'd started later, it could very well be that I would have just remained almost the way that I am with music. I did a, this little pop single. It's funny. I loved singing. I loved making music. I loved performing and acting. And I guess initially... The idea for anybody is always like, can I do this professionally or what does that even mean? So I was sort of pursuing my dreams, stumbling along the way. I soon discovered that doing that with music, it was far too managed and manipulated by all the other people who kind of needed to be a part of it in order to make it happen. So I just very quickly sort of left it aside and just kept privately playing. Whereas acting is the consummate professional compromise. You need hundreds of other people often to make a production if not at least a, a dozen. Everybody has a specialized role, and in a way, sometimes that can be really, really exciting. You know, the partnership, the creative partnership. And so that's actually what I very much early on became attracted to, was the community aspect of it, to be honest. Like the first night on stage when I was nine years old. I don't exactly remember saying and doing this, but I remember feeling it. But as my mom tells it, I turned to her and I said, I want to do this every night for the rest of my life. And really from that point on, I started to go on auditions and try and make that a reality uh, with, the, with the sort of help of my, of my mom and the people we'd meet along the way. Having now had some degree of success appearing in you and before that Gossip Girl, of course, do you feel that you're now in a position to try to create films or television that convey the kinds of messages that you're most interested in getting across? Yeah. I mean, in a way, that's kind of all I'm interested in now. You know, obviously, 
sometimes you just have to be practical and take what comes to you and make the best of what's happening. I think making the best of what's happening now is to see how much agency I can take in the process. Because as, as an actor, you know, you're an instrument. You're being played by whomever is the writer, the director, the editor, the, I mean, everybody. But you really is actually having so much to do with how you are perceived. And at the end of the day, all you can do is say the words how you want to say them. It's much simpler and smaller than people make of it. I would love to be more influential in the stuff I'm involved in, not just how I'm saying, but what I'm saying and why and when and where. I would actually love to direct and write and produce. And actually, the truth is I've been doing those things just at the earliest stages, honing those faculties, honing those crafts. It's exciting and it happens in fits and starts, you know, it's kind of frustrating being so kind of like professional and experienced with this one aspect of it and not with the others. What kinds of ideas are you interested in exploring? I want to know what it's like to step outside of this worldview we have of a single protagonist or just a small band of heroes mm. saving and transforming the world around them. How can you tell a story of a community of protagonists? Can a protagonist be like truth? You know, can the, can the protagonist be justice? Where the story is guided by where these principles are fostered and can develop these qualities, these kind of eternal truths. And obviously you'd want to be seeing that happen within the familiar network of faces and characters you already know. And this is where I think television has great capacity, just, or media in general, like with the way that you just don't, you, I mean, you're actually really just not hemmed in by something being a two hour or 45 minute piece. The internet has so wildly changed everything. This is something that I think we can experiment with. That's very interesting. Have you heard of the idea of the maximalist novel? No, but I want you to tell me what that is. <laughs> yeah, just what you were saying really reminded me of them. Put very simply, they are extremely long books. So I suppose in that way, more analogous to TV shows as opposed to the 300 page novel, which might be more like your typical two hour film. They're typically eight, nine hundred pages plus, and that length allows you to go beyond having a single hero protagonist and explore really concepts and allows you to have a community of characters that you explore in depth. Maybe in film, someone like Terence Malick, Terence Malick's Tree of Life, maybe that could be similar. Well, actually, Terence Malick is a unique touch point for me because he's also very spiritual. And with his latest project, he became overtly religious, you know, with the sort of Christ-like references constantly throughout. I think it's called A Hidden Life. But I think you're right. I think he kind of reached his probably most maybe maximalist, as you're saying, with Tree of Life, which people seem to know which way they feel about it. I personally love it. You know, you don't always need rational narrative at every point. And as long as it's not heavy handed, which is obviously, you know, something we're always very concerned about. <laughs> we just, mm -hmm. certainly don't want to be telling people what to experience yeah. or how to feel or how to behave, which I can appreciate. I mean, subtlety is always so effective and really beautiful. Terrence Malick, he's a person who kind of alone, as far as I know, is getting at that. Maybe Gaspar No, who, to be honest, I don't enjoy his films actually at all. I really struggle with the sort of paradigm he chooses to sort of see the world and insert the viewer. I personally find it profoundly negative in its outlook and its prospects and what it's attempting to say about people and the essence of the human spirit. But the technical craft of his films, I think, is like truly phenomenal. And I would love to know what it's like to utilize those same techniques, that same kind of vision, but with something really constructive to say about the human being. You've been doing quite a bit of work lately with the Tahereh Justice Center, 
work that is promoting justice, particularly for women. You've been doing work around race equality. Are those the kinds of themes that you feel could become the protagonists in the kinds of projects that you would like to work on? Yeah, I mean, I think so. The way that I've been invited into this work with the Tahara Justice Center, who provides uh, free legal and social services to immigrant women and children or anyone fleeing gender-based violence. So actually, Laylee Miller-Muro, the founder of the Tahara Justice Center, 23 years ago, established a legal precedent, actually, that people fleeing gender-based persecution, which obviously is mostly women, can legally seek asylum in the United States. So what that actually did was it kind of pushed the entire legal system forward and said, this is a home for people fleeing gender-based violence. You know, and again, that's often women and girls, women and girls fleeing the oppressive violence of the places they live. So the Tahara Justice Center is just committed to doing that kind of work. They take on the hardest cases. They have a 99% success rate and they take on the hardest cases because they don't want to just save individuals because they can only take one out of every 10 clients who call them. They want to save people and they also want to push the system forward. And so they, because I was friends with Laylee who started all that work. And yeah, I mean, because of her integrity, because of the integrity of the organization, I just knew anything she asked me to do, I know that it's effective and it's valued and it's valid. Whereas often when you invite a celebrity into the process, sometimes it can really confuse things. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work better or that more people will actually have the right idea. So she invited me to meet a client of hers who was in detention, you know, which is essentially a prison-like facility, we can call it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I met her. We spoke for a couple of hours. And then what I did was I kind of shared my experience, and I wrote an op-ed in Teen Vogue. And then a couple months later, I mean, not at all only because of my efforts. I mean, it was, you know, I'm not even sure how to measure the effect of my contributions, but the Tahara Justice Center was working tirelessly for her, for Vilma, to free her and reunite her with her daughter, Yezvi. And eventually that happened. That happened in January of last year. In fact, a few weeks after the first season of You premiered on Netflix. So simultaneously that was happening where Joe, and I mean, forgive me if the analogy seems a little over the top, but I didn't write it. This is actually life. Joe is like a man who puts women in a plexiglass chamber, mm-hmm. essentially forcing them to change and admit where they've been wrong. I mean, when I met Vilma, she was behind a plexiglass barrier. And we were only able to touch fingertips when she exchanged a, like a plastic bracelet to me that she wanted us to give to her daughter. Wow. Yeah. That is quite a striking parallel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, and again, it's not like a comparison that I draw lightly. I mean, it's the sort of thing that when I recognized it, it really was hard to reconcile and process emotionally and intellectually. So I take it seriously in a way. It's like as long as this show is garnering the attention that it's getting, then it's really important we do talk about this stuff. And unapologetically, we can't, oh, it's heavy, oh, it's too much. It's like, no, I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. We're all having like a Joe meme fest over here. And, and there's, ne- I mean, never has there been more of a poster boy for just the basic privileges which enact violence on so many other kinds of people, you know? it's So I don't know, I mean, that's the way I see it. Of course, Joe's actions are very extreme, but do you feel as the person playing Joe that somehow you have a responsibility to fight for the causes that he's the antithesis of? I guess I do, because I'm doing it. Um, I'm trying, at least. I don't think anyone is free from a degree of social responsibility. And as long as you have millions of people who are made 
privy of your doings and you can share your thoughts with them and they're actually interested in what you have to say, I mean, well, then I think maybe there is some degree of responsibility. Because I think what the show does is the show, if you're really thinking of it in those terms, it does a great job deconstructing quite a bit of our problematic conventional thinking. But what it's not trying to do, because you can't do the whole thing in, in one job, is to provide what you can do on top of that, constructive lines of action. So we can't just deconstruct what doesn't work, we need to build what does. You know, earlier when you asked this question of what kind of projects I would be interested in in the future, I think it's those. I think because we're getting better and better at understanding what's wrong, which is good, we need to know that. But we need to understand better what, what is going to function in the future and build those kinds of systems lay their groundwork to set yeah. the conditions yeah it's very easy to point out deficiencies isn't it you open any newspaper and it's clear that the people of the world have become pretty adept at diagnosing what's wrong with the world but it's much harder and much slower to actually work to change what's wrong maybe the day-to-day -day of building a better world isn't particularly glamorous but perhaps that's the role of art, the role of film, to bring beauty to it, to find the beauty, the sacred and the mundane, if you will. So actually, I think yeah. you're onto something there. I think, to me, you're right. What do we always say about film, what it does? It glorifies. We use the term glory in a way where we only understand its negative connotation. Or if we use it, we seem to think it's this unattainable, archaic thing. Like, we don't use glory as a relevant current term. And mm -hmm. I think film has a unique capacity to glorify things, obviously, like that's what it does. But we've been choosing to glorify that which we seem to understand better, which is how things fall apart. And to me, it's like we do see a lot of brilliant filmmaking that glorifies the mundane the every day. I mean, a person for me of my like kind of spiritual conviction, I feel like we can go a lot further. Penn Badgley, well, the best of luck with all your projects. Thanks for joining us on Ponder. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.